0: Hello, everyone, and we are back with another Boxing Hipster Podcast. I'm your host, Steven the Warman, right? You can find me on the Twitter thing at twitter.com slash steventhewarman, one word. I'm also on the Greasy at the exact same name. I'm here with the Stream Master with the Boxing Hipster himself, the man who puts more time into this than anybody on the planet probably, uh, Ryan Scalius. Say what's up to the people. Yeah,
1: what's up, people? You can find me on Twitter, R I 5 ca and I'm not even going to bother with my Instagram this time because I barely ever post.
0: <laughs> got it. Uh, I, too, struggle with posting. I just, I'm just, i just not as cool as the other people who think to put it up all the time. So uh, I remember they were talking. Uh, I saw something about Mikhail myler Meyer. And they were talking yeah. about how she's one of the best people to follow on Instagram and Snapchat because she posts so much stuff. And she really does do a great job of this. She's got this social media thing down. Uh, but I guess I'm too old to be a millennial, so I'm supposed to be uh, it missed me. Um, we'll go ahead and jump right into the big one. Anytime the heavyweight champion of the world is determined, that's got to be something we open the show on. Uh, it's got such rich history, you know, between, uh, you know, Klitschko to, you know, to Lewis to Tyson to to Holyfield, you know, all the way back to, you know, Ali Foreman, you know, Frazier. Just, just, it's Joe Lewis. It is the title, you know, and uh, true or not, most people used to feel That the heavyweight champion of the world was the guy who, you know, uh, uh, as Burt Sugar used to say, could lick anybody in the world. It is an important title. No matter what, as we look at all the alphabet titles that were out there, they kind of came together when the Klitschko's reigned. And now the Klitschko's finally showed a, a bit of, you know, a dent in the armor as they've gotten older. Uh, we've got um, Vladimir coming off of a loss as he gets ready to go against Anthony Joshua, who is the closest thing to the prototype boxer as you're ever going to get. We're just talking about, you know, and I'll go ahead and ask you what your thoughts on this. Anthony Joshua, this is the guy who looks the part. He looks like an NFL football player that just happens to be boxing. Uh, he's got every tool. Um Got the power, got the patience more than anything. Uh, Before we go into breaking this thing down, what are your thoughts on the emergence of Anthony Joshua, who, I mean, Olympic pedigree, this guy came. He seems to have it all. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: about Joshua, you know, it's better for boxing if he wins this fight. Like, just because he's such a big star, I mean, if he Mm -hmm. wins this fight, he'll probably be the biggest sports star in the UK.
0: Oh, yeah, unchallenged.
1: Yeah and like it's going to be he like he's already massive and he'll be even bigger if he wins this fight you know if Klitschko wins it's like well he's 41 years old and he's not going to be around much longer and then heavyweight boxing kind of temporarily stays where it is but AJ is the type of guy that can really bring this back to the mainstream you know he's got everything going for him you know basically his media image is that you know he's portrayed as like flawless so far, and uh, they know what they're doing, you know, and you know he's a hell of a fighter as well, so you know if he wins this fight, I think you know heavyweight boxing can it won't ever get back to where it was, but you know it can definitely go further if uh, Joshua wins this
0: why do you say it'll never get back to where it was? Is it because times have changed just in terms of how people view combat sports in general? Uh, Is it because you have to have the perfect storm of not just one elite guy at the top, but elite contenders for them to, you know, have the back and forth with, the up and downs with? Why do you say that it's impossible to, to get that lure back? And I agree with you, but I'm just curious. Why do you feel that way?
1: Well, boxing used to be, like, the biggest sport. And, you know, the heavyweight champion used to be the biggest star in sports. You know, so I just... Don't really think that's achievable. Again, I mean, especially because you know there's not going to be another Muhammad Ali and a guy that's as significant as that. So, you know, I, it's just the sporting world has kind of evolved so much in boxing. At the same time, its relevance in the sporting world has gone down. So, I just don't think it can reach you know the heights it did
0: before would you call that evolving or would you call that changing? Like, you know, evolving almost means it's turning into something better uh, as opposed to something different. Um, Would you just say just the landscape? Like CTE was, you know, unheard of, (laughs) you know, when uh, boxing, you know, uh, in its heyday, even back to, you know, the early 90s. uh, Do you just think that it's the direction of sports in general is better? Or do you think that because it's, maybe more cautious maybe um the education put into it takes away from the uh kind of attrition that these guys agree to go you know to deal with before they get in there do you think that another another term uh uh, would you say different would be a better term than evolved as far as the sporting world
1: i mean i think both because if you think about it like every single sports league, like MLB, NFL, NBA, they've all, like, grown massively since those days when boxing was a mainstream sport, you know, and uh, and then obviously there's around the world, you know, how big soccer's gotten, mm-hmm. and just e- everything else has gotten bigger, you know, and there used to be less options. Yes. You know, now you can basically watch anything and you know, obviously, like the NBA, NFL, etc., they market their products way better than you know boxing does, and it's because boxing is just fractured by nature. You know, there's not one league to kind of market For sure. the, the the product like so. It's just every everything else has grown, and uh, you know, boxing just doesn't have the same coverage and the same figures that it used to.
0: Definitely agree on all fronts, and in particular, the point about it's just uh, a different world in terms of um, the access that we have now. You know, and uh, I listened to a great podcast where they were talking about um, uh, back in the day somebody was talking to Jordan Breen about what makes a legend and why will it be a difficulty for like some like of mixed martial arts stars become legends. And then I remember I, I emailed a message to him saying. One of the main things that made Joe Lewis a legend was that you didn't see him. Like you heard it on the radio and the, the dream of what could be happening lived in your heart. And that kind of enlightened, you know, communities all over the world because they, they didn't see it. They heard it, you know. And the few people that did see it, I mean we're talking like less than, you know, 1% of the countries, you know, actually seen it with their own eyes. Whether movie theater or they live. So now go ahead and flash forward. My favorite boxing fight of all time, you know, oh, that, that happened in my era that I definitely feel of all time, is still, you know, uh, Castillo Corrales, and it's on my phone. That's how accessible it is. So I definitely agree with you in terms of that's a good and a bad thing. You know, it's an evolved thing to have that access, but, of course, it means eyes are on different things. So now, of course, we get to the biggest question klitschko coming off the fury loss and again the biggest thing is coming off so many long injury layoffs that has to come into play age comes into play but we're still talking about a guy who is very skilled he can still you know crack he can still punch and grab with the best of them going against anthony joshua the kid who's got all the tools as you say the boxing world is better served if this guy's champion the english community of combat sports is better served if this guy's champion ryan scully who wins it
1: I just, I just can't pick Klitschko to win, you know, everything is stacked against him and he's facing a beast, you know, a young, a young beast, you know, and the thing about Joshua is he's probably still getting better, you know, he's that type of athlete and that type of fighter and he only started boxing when he was like 18 or something, so, you know, he's still, he's still growing, you know, he's still getting better. And uh, Klitschko is 41, coming off 18-month layoff, didn't look good at all in his last fight. You know, you just can't really pick Klitschko, but at the same time, Klitschko was by far the best guy Joshua's ever fought. Mm -hmm. So, but I think Joshua is just going to be, you know, too fast, too strong, too young for Vladimir.
0: Now the big question goes, uh, and you know, and this is something I actually feel. Anthony Joshua, does he get the stoppage and does it mean more if he does? Yeah, I
1: think he does. I mean, I just think uh, in terms of physical abilities, there's going to be a gulf, and I think, you know, maybe, maybe not, but maybe as the fight goes on, you know, AJ will figure him out more. At the same time, AJ could tire as it goes on, and, you know, Vlad has been the distance.
0: For sure. Quite a bit. Is, is it I, white? I think, is it white or Chisora? That's his longest fight. For Joshua. No
1: white. White in Brazil. Yes. Both went seven.
0: Both went I seven. Oh.
1: Yeah. But he, at the same time, you know, Joshua—he's—he's he's pretty measured. He doesn't rush his work really. Mm-hmm. Except for you know the white fight, he was kind of emotional because they had uh, it was a grudge match. But yeah.
0: The lead up. The they, lead up was good. <laughs>
1: yeah. This one. This one. He's going to be be really measured, you know, so, I, I don't think his stamina should be too much of a problem, and I don't think Vlad is going to be able to hold either, I think Joshua is going to
0: be too strong for that. Definitely agree on all fronts, and, uh, I do think that, you know, it's just, it's really the perfect storm of, you know, uh, it almost has a, you know, for the historians out there, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, uh, how joe lewis kind of comes into play you know like you've got to beat an old champion and he was able to beat you know um uh an old champion in his case and and ali he beat you know a guy who was considered the most dangerous guy in the world that that's two different you know situations because uh people really did believe that sonny liston was like you know a monster a lot of people thought that he's gonna win this fight and a lot of people thought he's gonna win the rematch so uh, i definitely think that There is something, too. You've got the young up-and-coming star, and he takes out the guy, you know, like the guy, uh, you know, before that guy gets out of there. And, again, he's coming off the Fury uh, fight, so, of course, it won't be as big. And then when he does fight Tyson Fury one day, we're talking about, like, super huge, mega, mega, mega fight uh, for Joshua. But I definitely agree on all fronts. I I just – I, too, see the bigger, stronger guy um, more, you know, quicker, you know, younger – winning this fight, and then at some period of time in the later rounds between 9 and 12, something in me wondering if Klitschko can go the distance. Because with Fury, I thought he was confused the whole time. Here, I think he's going to be hurt. So we will see, and and again, we still got to give Klitschko credit. He can land one right hand, and that's it. But if he thinks he's going to come out and just only score the jab for three rounds like he does with the weak guys, oh, I won't say the weak guys, but the guys not of, you know, Joshua's level, I don't think that just playing lead hand will do it. He'll be in a hole already. So definitely good stuff there. We're going to go ahead and talk about some of the undercard fights. Um, Scott, Quig- uh, Scott Quig is going to go against uh, Varel Simon. They're in a 12-round fight for the uh, Featherweight Championship Eliminator, if you will. Uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, on Quigg, who, of course, um, very, very talented guy, despite you know uh, you know recent profi- uh, high-profile loss. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on him in this one? Yeah, I mean, Quigg is with
1: Freddie Roach now, so you can guarantee he's not going to take the first half of a fight off mm-hmm. anymore. You know, Um moved up to featherweight now. His last fight, you know, I think it was against Jose Cayetano. His last fight, you know, he looked pretty good. He looked really strong in that fight. Now he's fighting um, virol Simeon, you know, decent fighter who, you know, he gave Lee Selby a pretty tough fight uh, a few years back. But... Quigg is probably just going to be too strong. I mean, Simeon, you know, he, he's not a puncher. You know, he doesn't have uh, many stoppages to go with. So, yeah, I definitely think Quig is going to win this one. You know, Simeon, he hasn't ever been stopped. I mean, he's only lost, like, once, and that was to Selby. So you don't really know how much he's going to be able to take. But I think Quinn will stop.
0: Good stuff there. I'll keep moving because we got a lot of fight co- fights to break down. Katie Taylor is going to take on Nina Mienke. A uh, person, you know, Katie Taylor someone that we talked about before. All the tools, like Joshua, has the amateur pedigree as she comes into this. Uh, they're moving her fast. I, I cracked the joke last time that they're moving her like an early Tyson where it seems like she's fighting. I feel like she's went pro this, this year, and she's fought five times this year. Like, I, I feel like she's that kind of active. Uh, also, they're kind of doing the, uh, um, uh, the uh, uh, what is it, the Lea Ali kind of strategy of always putting her on the card with the, the big heavyweight bout or the big bout that's in town. Ali fought on a lot of Mike Tyson, you know, undercards when she first got started. Um, what are your thoughts on Katie Taylor? Uh, another outing, this time 10 rounds. And uh, what are your thoughts on her uh in the level of activity that she's going through. I think you once said that they wanted her to be a world champion before the year's out.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the proper thing to do, considering how big of a star she is in Ireland, and, you know, just the type of amateur career she had. And, you know, a big amateur career like that means even more in women's boxing, just because there's not much depth at all, so you can really fast-track to the top. And I'm not going to act like I've seen any fights of her opponent, but... I I can tell that her opponent's been fighting at lower weights, and she's never been past four rounds. So, you know, obviously, they're bringing her in to lose to Taylor. And so, you know, Taylor's rightfully rightfully the favorite in this fight. You know, it's probably just onwards and upwards to the title fight.
0: When do you think they make the move to bring Taylor to fight at home? Because I think that she could... You know, is it when they go for the world title? Do they put the world title on there then they have her? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see full the soccer stadium at home. I think she's that big of a star.
1: I think it'll be towards the end of the year, maybe November or something like that. Just because I know her coach, uh, Ross Enemite, who, you know, really great uh, fitness guru, if we ever go to his website or anything, mm-hmm. and boxing guru, but... He, him and Taylor, they wanted to have like some longer camps under the belt, you know, because she's been fighting a lot. Yeah. And, you know, they haven't really had camps really. They've just been going fight to fight, you know, sometimes a few weeks later. So they want a few camps under their belt. So I imagine they might do maybe one or two more fights and then fight at the end of the year for the title.
0: Go ahead and talk about one more. Um, Luke Campbell, as he takes on uh, Darles Perez. Uh, that is uh, another 12-rounder. I'll go ahead and let you wrap this card up by talking about that one. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, Perez is coming off a complete robbery draw to Maurice Hooker. You know, Perez won that fight up at 140 pounds, and he just got ripped off. But, uh, you know, he looked pretty decent in that fight. He was fighting a tall guy and uh, a hooker and you know he outfought him pretty much the whole time and but uh Campbell was a lot more well a lot more schooled than Hooker is and you know a lot more technically sound and i know Perez is going to have a lot of trouble making the weight so and Campbell's a good body puncher and Corolla stopped Perez on body shots, so I wouldn't be surprised if Campbell stopped him here. And this is a title eliminator for WBA.
0: We'll go ahead and move on to some results. Uh we're gonna go ahead and start off with the pay-per-view that went down Seb Holt Center in Cal Carson, California. Um top rank put on a card, filled that card up with their young prospects. Uh we won't talk about all the cards, we'll uh, all the fights but we'll talk about a lot of them. Um Gilberto Ramirez Sanchez. Uh, gets a victory over Max. Uh, Bursak is dominant. There's a couple downs in it. Uh, I think all three scores. Yep, I got all three scores here. one twenty, one oh six. Uh What are your thoughts on Sanchez? Uh, pretty clear here? Yeah, I mean,
1: it wasn't really impressive at the same time because you kind of want him to stop a guy like Bursak. But it was his first fight in the year coming off a hand injury. But one thing is clear that he still kind of has – the same flaws as he did before and uh you know he, he is who he is maybe you know he's getting to that point in his career obviously coming off the injury layoff you know it might have not been his best performance but uh you know we'll see if he progresses in in the future i mean Bursack was basically a layup opponent
0: We'll go ahead and continue through the fight card. Uh, Not a layup opponent here. Mikhail Mariaga gave Oscar Valdez all that he could. Oscar Valdez, I would say the difference in the fight was the moments where Mariaga seemed to be catching fire, Uh, Valdez was able to get that big down. I want to say it was in the 10th. I can't remember if I'm exact. Uh, But uh, Valdez, uh, it's the kind of fight that we wanted to. And you called it on this show. You said, hey, this is a live dog. Mariaga is going to be right there in this fight. Uh, This is the kind of performance that I want from Oscar Valdez, though. Big-time fan of the kid. Uh, I like him. You know, this was the WBO world title. This is his first... um, uh, this is the first time they did... He was on one of these top-ranked pay-per-views, right? Uh, that I can remember?
1: Well, as the main event.
0: Yes. Uh, so I thought that he did a great job. Very, very uh, entertaining. Uh, what are your thoughts on how this one went down?
1: Yeah, you know, this was really the type of fight Valdez needed because uh, it kind of showed his character and showed his guts and uh, shows what level he can operate on. You know, Mariag is, uh, you know, He's a good, tough fighter. You know, he's going to really, you know, be trying to win hard the whole time. And, uh, you know, he went the distance with Walters, just a, you know, solid fighter all around. And this was a mandatory fight, you know, it's not the type of fight you take as voluntary. But, uh, you know, Valdez got the job done. You know, he's uh, probably definitely going to have to work on his defense some more and not loading up so much on the shots but you know he does have pretty good power and the stamina too as well to be able to uh keep that up for for 12 rounds even with the you know a good strong fighter coming after you so yeah i mean valdez definitely solidified him himself in that fight and hopefully he can get uh some big fights
0: go ahead and move down this card uh Jesse Magdaleno gets a victory over Adison dos Santos uh stops him in 2 uh is this what you wanted from uh, Magdaleno of course you, you go out there you get the job done of course if you're the promoter you know you got an exciting fight you got a KO you got a one-sided fight so uh it's a little bit of everything uh what are your thoughts on Jesse's performance Yeah you know
1: it was a, pretty much a layoff but mm-hmm. He did what he had to do, you know, he completely smashed it. So that's what you want to see, you know. I think Magdaleno, he's really come along, and I'd like to see him, you know, get some get some good fights at uh, 122 as well.
0: Redis Prescott was brought in to give Alexander Sputin one of the, you know, his tougher tests. Uh, Alexander Sputin passed this test, 80-71 on all cards. Uh, you said that this is the kind of fight that you wanted for him to show the tools. Uh, did you get to see what you wanted?
1: Yeah, you know, I was surprised that, uh I was really surprised that Best Putin just completely had no problems with him. You know, he completely shot Prescott down. And one of the things about Best Putin though, is he kind of goes into Matt Korobov mode, which, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh uh-huh. Yeah, so Matt Korobov, great amateur, but he never really, he never really fully adapted to pros and so he wasn't that great of a finisher and uh you know kind of the same thing with best putin in this fight i mean i the way it's going i'm not sure if he's going to be able to get past kind of that that korbov line but uh you know he just dealt with prescott really easily and easier than everyone else has lately pretty much
0: You know, you brought up the thing with Best Boot and not really getting out of that style. You know, another person that, you know, uh, uh, I still, one of the few guys that definitely give him credit for his efforts in the sport more than others, but uh, Jermaine Taylor's a guy who I thought never adapted to a pro style. I thought he always tried to win and had a lot of success leading with his lead hand, jabs only, but he never really developed outside of clean one-twos. The hook never developed, never developed body work. Um, You know, uh, I think that... Do, you know i'll go ahead and ask you do you think that with a lot of these guys in the long amateur careers not all of them are going to turn into Golovkins, uh not all of them are going to turn into lomachenko's do you think that there is a reason why some of them don't end up being what they should be as a pro uh is it because they stay with the same trainer is it because they only know one way of having success uh what do you think it is
1: well i mean every fighter is different and- Every country's training system is different, you know. I find that uh, the Russian system—it's it, definitely more like a, your typical, um, you know, Soviet amateur boxing style, more so than more so than kind of the other countries, you know. Um, and when guys stay in that system for a long time, you know, that kind of sticks around, but. At the same time, every fighter has their own style. I mean, there are guys on the Russian team that are like brawlers uh-huh. and, you know, not the typical Russian style boxers. So it just depends on the fighter, I suppose. But a lot of a lot of Russian fighters uh, have that style coming I in. Mean, I mean, like Igor Mokontsev, he was an Olympic gold medalist in 2012, and he's been a complete bust as... Pro, you know, he can't really adapt, you know, he has the same amateur style, basically. I mean, Dmitry Bivol, like, he fights with that Russian amateur style, but the difference is he has the intangibles and the physical strength and Mm -hmm. the athleticism to make up for it.
0: Who's the kid that beat uh, Kodo in the Olympics?
1: Oh, yeah, Muhammad Abdullayev.
0: Yeah, similar, similar. We're, uh, you know, like, just... The tools were there early, you know, Our uh, tiers, the tools were there to win the uh, amateur title, but, you know, once, you know, he turned pro, uh, two different lives, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, some guys just uh, don't pan out. I mean, the thing about live is he was actually doing pretty well against Kota, and then his eye just fell apart.
0: We'll go ahead and go to the last few fights in the card as we started talking boxing and got off topic a little bit. Um, uh, Last two we'll talk about from this card. Um, uh, um, Let me see. Mahanrai Montes Castillo as he gets a victory over Francisco Santana. Uh, Split decision over 10 rounds. Uh, What were your thoughts on this? Did you get to see this one?
1: Yeah, that was a good fight. You know, Montes, he's always a B-side, but uh, he pulled off an upset here over a pretty good fighter in Chia Santana you know who's who's been in some good fights you know so I imagine uh, Montes is probably going to get another another decent fight after this you know he puts up good tests for guys and like here he's brought an upset
0: and then of course we'll wrap the card out with Shakir Stevenson uh, as he beat Edgar uh, Brito by you know um, unanimous decision uh Two stories here. Uh, First, what were your thoughts on his performance? And two, you mentioned it on Twitter... Fans started rooting for the other guy because they they brought Stevens over to the West Coast and uh, not a lot of brothers in the crowd to cheer for him. (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and keep it real. Uh, And then you mentioned maybe they should keep this kid on the East Coast, uh, which is a little bit tougher for them because top ranks got, oh, I mean, they can do it, but, you know, uh, of course they've got their interest in certain areas uh, of the country. But uh, first, what were your thoughts on his performance and what are your thoughts on where they use him?
1: Yeah, I mean, as far as a pro debut for a 19-year-old goes, you know, it was good. He completely shot out, you know, a pretty, a pretty tough, durable guy that, that came to win and virtually had no success. So in, in that regard, you know, it was, it was pretty solid. But obviously, if you can't really hurt the guy that badly, Or put a huge dent in him And you know You start tying him up And stuff like that And when you're not Mexican You know the crowd is Even if you're Mexican You know the Mexican crowd Is going to boo
0: They ain't having it
1: Yeah they ain't having (laughs) it You know so I mean yeah It was just kind of unfortunate For his debut You know they started cheering For the Mexican guy But uh Yeah you know It was still a solid debut He He He's going to you know, go pretty far, he's extremely talented, you know, and you can't look too far into things like
0: that. We move on to the Barclay Center, where we had Andre Berto going against Sean Porter, uh, the fight went as scripted, I will go ahead and, uh, ret- you know, well, I won't retract, but I'll say that I was wrong, I definitely thought this fight was more entertaining than I thought it was going to be, uh, it was as ugly as I thought it was going to be, um, but despite the fact that Sean Porter is, you know, out there, uh, Uh, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, head down playing running back, you know what I'm saying? Just head in your chest, ripping to the body. His volume in this one made me like his work that much better. Um, Berto is just past it. He he seemed like he was always fighting from behind even when he had his moments of scoring here and there. It just looked like it wasn't there. Now again, he's never been a volume guy. Even in what you would call, you know, was, you know, uh, his prime, he'd never been able to produce a lot of long-term, consistent offense, but um, what are your thoughts on the action, and then we'll go ahead and look into each each guy's career, uh, but what are your thoughts on Berto Porto? It, it went kind of as scripted, but Porto got him out of there, and that, that means something.
1: Yeah, I mean, Berto basically looked like a deer in the headlights. Like, uh, when stuff doesn't really go his way in a fight, he kind of falls apart. Yep. I mean, uh, Guer- Guerrero... You know uh, the first Victor Ortiz fight. Yeah. You know, once uh, he starts getting overwhelmed, like he really, he really falls apart. You know, and it just seems like all, all the fundamentals just, just go away.
0: And he looks at the ref all the time.
1: Oh yeah, like yeah. he he's really flustered. Yeah. You know. So, but yeah, I mean, Berto, even though he never really lived up to the hype, he, he's definitely definitely passed it, you know, and you just got completely overwhelmed by a younger, fresher, stronger fighter.
0: Let's look back on Berto's career now, and uh, that's not, I'm not saying that his career is over with, but we have this loss. Before, he got the stoppage victory over Victor Ortiz. Um, then, of course, we had Mayweather before that. No shame there. But then he had the Josecito Lopez win, the Steve Tambers win. He had a uh, you know a loss of uh, Jesus Soto Cross, lost to uh Robert Guerrero. Uh before that, young Yavec was a was a victory. There was an Ortiz, and of course was the wins that he had up until the Ortiz fight. As you look at him as he's gone against, you know, what would we call upper level competition. Or guys who've got names, Jose Lopez, in my opinion, was never higher level competition. I just think that people maybe Overrated him a little bit because of that, you know, victory over Ortiz with the broken jaw. That's just me. I, I hope that I don't offend, but that's just how I feel. Um, what would you say looking back at Berto's career? If he walked away from it now, he's still a guy who, you know, won a world title at 147. He's still a guy who, if he was smart with his money, he should have money. Uh, what are your thoughts on just the the scope of his career, which is clearly more behind him than in front of him?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he made a ton of money because you remember when Al Heyman was basically running HBO. I mean, his run of title defenses was uh, really weak. I mean, like he fought uh, a Mexican cop who, like, like only fought again once after that, and then his first defense was against Steve Forbes. Yes, and he made all kinds of weak defenses, and then. I thought know, hey,
0: Colazo him. was a good defense.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, he could have lost that fight.
0: True. Urango was past it, but I thought Colazo was a good defense.
1: Yeah, and then, uh, I mean, Freddy Hernandez, then he lost to Victor Ortiz, and after he loses to Ortiz, he gets a title shot against, like, one of the weaker champions of, like, the last decade, Jan Zavik. And then he gets beat by... You know, Robert Guerrero and Soto Karras. Yeah, I mean, he was basically one of Al Heyman's favorites. And he got paid like a ton of money to basically go make soft defenses on HBO. And then he, when he stepped up, he lost pretty much.
0: What do we do with Sean Porter now? Very important win. He is now in the mandatory to the fight that he just lost. Um, you know, do you think that him and, uh, um, you know, do you think that there's a chance that he wants that rematch, um, you know, with Thurman, or does he go into a different direction? Does maybe he see what happened uh, with um, uh, uh, the you know, the winner of, um, what do we have going up? I'm just having a mental lapse here. Uh, With Spence, Uh, you know, go ahead and see what happens there. Uh, What are your thoughts? Uh, Just what we do next with Porter?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's mandatory for Keith Thurman in WBC. Not sure when or if that's going to happen because Lamont Peterson's mandatory in WBA, but I'd like to see him fight Danny Garcia. Mm -hmm. Now, I imagine Danny Garcia at this point. Probably won't take that fight. I imagine he probably wants a, you know, a soft fight back after his, after his loss. You know, just to get, just to get a payday, basically. For sure, and if
0: his and dad then, has anything to say about it, that's exactly oh, what's yeah. going to happen.
1: <laughs> give us the Selka. give us the Selka. Yeah, rematch. <laughs> yeah, but I'd, so I'd like Porter to fight Danny Garcia, even though uh, I don't think it's going to happen.
0: Okay, we'll we'll go ahead and move down the line. Charles Hatley comes out there and, for me, was beaten clearly by Charlo before the stoppage happened. Uh, Charlo put together a mean series where he was aggressive with his hands. uh, uh, During the exchange, he got himself on the side, uh, landed a clean right hand while Hatley was trying to exchange without realizing that uh, Charlo had moved and uh, scored a clean right hand that just, you know, uh, it's always a little scary when guys go limp and they kind of fall out. You know, if they go down and, you know, you kind of see that it's a bad KO, you understand it. And, you know, they recover and they're fine. But that kind of shot, the way he fell, uh, was big time KO. And uh, definitely, you know, he was fine. He was, you know, stood up afterwards, put on a stool, stood up afterwards. Halley was fine. But it was one of my favorite performance for Jermel Charlo. I actually thought that it was pretty complete. I thought that he was winning all the rounds clear. And when he, he turned it up, he turned it up. Uh, I think uh, one of my favorite um, things with Broner back in the day was there was a fight that he had where in the corner he said, I'm going to turn it up and get this guy out of here. And then he did it. And I think it means something when a fighter feels it and then they do it. And I thought that that's what happened here with Charlo, where he had scored an offensive series and it's like he had his mind made up. This is the moment to get this kid out of here. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, Charlo looked good. He did not. And... Mm -hmm. You know, I'll still, give, I'll still give Charlo credit for doing what he had to do, but Charles Hadley has been knocked down like eight or nine times in his career now, and I think everybody that knew anything about him knew he was pretty chinny. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. You know, Charlo got a, got a great knockout, and he looked pretty good, but, you know, most people that knew what they were talking about you know, they thought Charlo was going to win. So, um, as far as going forward, you know, I'd like to see this Charlo, you know, fight one of the other champions at 154. Do I think it's going to happen? No. But might as well hold up hope.
0: That's right. It's nothing wrong with hope. We move on down the line as Amanda Serrano gets another victory. She gets uh, Deha- uh, Dehania Santana, uh, who at very... Had one of the weirdest corners that I've ever watched in terms of, now again, we're going through the interpreter. But there were periods of times where it seemed like she clearly did not want to go back out there. Um, she was game, uh, and Amanda Serrano was there to get hit. Like, like, part of her wants to have the kind of fights that people remember. So she'll sit, she'll sit down, bite her in her mouthpiece, and exchange. Uh, this is her, fir- her fifth world title. What are your thoughts on Serrano and how they promote her moving forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, you have the angle of the, you know, five world champion in Puerto Rico and Brooklyn to run with. So you basically just gotta keep her fighting, pretty much. I mean, just keep the name in in the the public, and you know, just keep pushing it. I mean, I imagine this is as low as she'll go because she, she looked really sucked out at the weigh-in. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. This is probably, like,
0: her limit. For sure. I would, be, I would be surprised if she defended this title. I truly believe that she'll probably just kind of move on after this. Um, go ahead and move. I'll just go ahead and do a, a couple quick. Um, we've got a uh, third-round TKO stoppage by Julian Sosa over Emmanuel of, of Valadez. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one?
1: Say it again?
0: Julian Sosa, his stoppage over uh, Valadez.
1: Yeah, that one wasn't even wasn't aired. Was that? Yeah, I don't think that was.
0: Even it might aired. not have been aired. Uh, the other one I've got is Ho- Jose Miguel Barrego, uh, and then John Del Pargang. Did you get to see that one, or is that one also off air?
1: I'm pretty sure it was off air. You know, I mean. I'm, I'm the stream master, but yeah. finding a stream for show extreme is pretty hard.
0: For sure. Because so. I remember watching it, and I remember the female – I remember uh, um, uh, Serrano and because yeah. uh, that was on it. But I didn't catch this one. That's why I want to kick it to you. So our our bad folks, we missed a couple of those. Um, we'll go ahead and go down the line. But we watch a lot of boxing, so we're going to miss something here and there. Um we're going to go ahead and go to uh, the U.K. as Gabriel Rosado loses to Martin Murray. And as predicted by Streammaster and everybody who knows anything about Gabriel Rosado, of course he was robbed in this one. 114-114 uh, and 114, 114 one card, 119-109, that's the one that people are most going crazy about, and then 116-112. Uh, what are your thoughts on this fight that went pretty much exactly how you said it was going to go?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it could have gone either way. Um, there were moments when Murray was winning, and then Rosado really picked it up late. It was interesting that Rosado seemed to be the stronger guy, mm-hmm. even though Murray had been fighting up at 168. But uh, yeah, it kind of went as as uh, as I expected. You know, close fight. Both guys thought they won. Rosado complains. You know, it's it's like a lot of Rosado fights. But yeah, you know, as far as where they go, I don't really think the win does that much for either guy except still get them another fight, basically. You know, Rosado, when he loses, like, it doesn't really matter because he has a name and people are going to bring him in to fight anyway.
0: We've got um, Avtandil... Cuts, uh, Katsitsi to get the victory over uh, Tommy Langford, also going down in the UK. A five-round stoppage. Um, looks like big things are happening for Katsitsis after this victory. Uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, he is just a, a beast, and he's really hard to fight. You know, you see how much Langford was trying to move and mm-hmm. trying to do everything he could to keep him off. And there was one point where it looked like he was starting to do better. And Curtizzi was starting to tire, and then he just got hit with that left hand. And that was basically it. You know, him versus Billy Joe Saunders on July 8th, you know, that's going to be a good fight. You know, Saunders is really going to
0: have to show up in shape for that one. For sure. I really like that. Now, again, we're talking about a, a smaller guy, you know. But he, uh, like, excuse me, shorter guy, should say, not smaller. Uh, but, like, uh, definitely brings the fight in. And this win opened up a big opportunity for him. So it should be good to see what happens with the uh, the, the the Billy fight. Um, we'll go ahead and move down the line of pay-per-view that you got. And you said that the atmosphere was fantastic because Germany does it big. Arthur Abraham gets a, you know, uh, victory over Robin uh, Krasnicki. What are your thoughts? Again, it's another decision. Um, it is, I believe the weight for this one was 168, I don't see Abraham ever being a player there, because even when he fought there, he wasn't a player, but what are your thoughts on just him and his performances?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, he's passed his best, you know, he was a, you know, WBO title holder at 168 for a bit, and, you know, had all the fights with Stieglitz, and, but, you know, he didn't win in the Super 6, and that kind of showed his level. You know, he is he is who he is, you know. He was always a guy who could kind of get a belt and milk it in Germany. And he's at the stage of his career where, you know, that was a WBO eliminator, but I'm not sure why you'd want to fight Ramirez again, mm-hmm. because it, it'd be the exact same result. Um... You know, I watched the fight. It was typical Abraham. He did nothing for the first four rounds, just stuck his high guard up, and then starting in the fifth round, he just took over the fight and won most of the rounds after that. So, you know, Krasnichi is like a European-level guy. Um, You know, Abraham won't beat any world champion-level type fighters, but there's still lucrative fights for him in Germany or even in the UK you know but I don't think he should try to fight Ramirez again
0: so question more or less legit than Felix Stern
1: um well Felix Stern should to beat Oscar that's that's kind of the tough part about it and that's an interesting one. Because Abraham was good at middleweight as well. And Sturm only moved up to 168, like, way later.
0: I, I'd go as career. far as to say Abraham was only good at, A- at middleweight.
1: <laughs> well, I think he was decent at 168. I mean, say what you will with the Stieglitz fights, but, you know, he had those. Um, you know, he didn't beat... Frotch or Ward or Durrell, but he was basically right under them pretty much you know I know his his resume isn't exactly stellar you know he had the Jermaine Taylor win the run of wins the middleweight obviously he was better at middleweight but I think
0: he was alright more or less legit than Sylvester Definitely more. Um, <laughs>
1: Sylvester didn't have near, near as much longevity as either of them.
0: Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and cut it off. We are at a 45 minute mark. Uh, we'll be back next week to break down the results of this. Uh, and we'll see what happens. It should be a good one. So everybody get around those TVs, make sure you support uh, combat sport. Go ahead and check boxing out, especially if you can get there live, uh, Joshua versus Klitschko is a must watch. You know, I think if you listen to this podcast, you're probably hardcore. But I think that that one is a must watch for people. So definitely uh, put the time in, go check that out. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Ryan Scalia, say goodbye to the people. Peace out. Peace, everybody.